0: Welcome to Amplify Your Process Safety, the podcast that provides the experience and expertise you need when it comes to process safety and risk management. Our hands-on approach will give you the insight needed, whether you're new to industry or process safety, in a role where you interact with aspects of process safety, or an experienced process safety professional. Join us in our mission to protect people, the companies they work for, and the communities where they operate by making process safety knowledge available to all.
1: Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the Amplify Your Process Safety Podcast. This is Rob Bartlett, and in this episode, it's my pleasure to be joined by the entire Amplify team. Joining me today are Joe, John, and Molly. Hi, everyone.
2: Hello. Hi.
1: And I'm going to say here to start off with that we do like to do these uh, types of full team podcasts, Uh, when we're all in the same room together but with covid we continue to be remote so bear with us as it's a little bit uh, a little bit different from what we have done in our in our uh, previous full team podcasts if you've listened to those but today uh, is the first episode of a three episode series that we're going to do outlining our advice for companies that are making their process safety journey Uh, we liken this to a journey climbing a mountain range And in this episode, we're going to focus on facilities that are just starting the journey or, you know, kind of down in the foothills. In the next episode, we'll focus on a company's efforts climbing the process safety mountain. And last but not least, in the third episode, the team will discuss the final part of the process journey. And I kind of put final in air quotes because you never actually get there. It's nearing the summit. So, in dealing with the foothills and the beginning of our process safety journey, our main goals really are understanding the requirements and really getting the basic systems in place for complying with process safety requirements. And I will just note that in in discussing this, we probably are going to talk a lot about PSM. But... Uh, the listeners should just remember that whenever we talk about PSM, if you are in a in an RMP covered facility, the requirements are are quite similar. So, so Joe, let's start with you. What's what's going to be the first thing we're going to want to do in our process safety journey in the foothills?
2: All right. So the first thing that you're going to want to do sounds really simple, but it's very important. First thing is you want to understand the PSM or RMP requirements. Um, so maybe you're at a facility that has changed their inventory um, maybe the amounts that you are keeping on site and so you've now recently qualified as a psm covered facility so what does that mean you're going to want to pull up the requirements and actually read them i know that sounds really basic but you wouldn't believe how many people don't start there with that step so read through it make sure you understand what exactly is being required of you um, how do the elements work with one another because they do often reference each other and work in conjunction as part of the overall program. During this step, you can absolutely take classes. There are programs that are offered through various companies. You can reach out to a consultant to to help you understand what the requirements are. One thing that can be difficult with PSM is that it is a performance-based standard, so it's going to tell you what the end result is, but it's not prescriptive, so it won't describe exactly what you need to do to get there. And that's really great because it allows for many uh, interpretations or rather strategies of how you can comply, but it can be difficult if you have absolutely no idea where to get started. So, anything else that you think we should add to that, Molly?
3: Yeah, there are a lot of references, and as you mentioned, it's kind of vague as to how you go about complying, and there's a lot of different ways that companies can achieve the same compliance goals but come at it from a different approach. So the more uh, resources you can look at, um, examples from other companies, uh, sometimes if you participate in any sort of technical societies, you can get some ideas from there, or Center for Chemical Process Safety has some good reference books that give you some examples The standards themselves are just a framework.
2: Right. That's good to know. And in case you haven't read them, um, they are fairly short, so definitely worth reading. Um, I know sometimes standards can be really difficult to to get through due to length, but the PSM requirements, like we mentioned before, they're so broad that they're really not that long. So definitely worth reading through completely um, in order to get a basic understanding. Anything else that you think is important with this step, Rob?
1: Yeah, it's it's really it's amazing to me how many clients that I have gone into their facilities and they think they haven't they don't have a good understanding of the requirements or what the what they might they might have read through the standard but they they don't really understand exactly what's meant by it and a good example here is is like a, a process has, hazards analysis so they they think that they've done a PHA. But if you look at what they've done, it doesn't actually conform to industry standards for what a PHA looks like. And it also doesn't necessarily include all of the requirements that the standard has. Um, so that's just, just one example. But it is important to understand not just the language, but also what is meant by the language. What does a compliant procedure look like? What does a compliant MOC process look like? Look like and ha- getting examples as Molly as you were saying, getting those examples from you know from from books, from consultants, from from other sources, really helps to make sure that that the company doesn't go down the wrong path, thinking that they're complying, and then OSHA or EPA show up and they say, oh uh, no, you're not. Uh, that's when when you know when the bad things can happen. So and you know I'll, in in addition to obviously those those uh, uh, problems leading to some sort of an incident. So it is important to understand not just what the regulation says, but also what's meant by those regulations.
2: That's a good point to make. There are also letters of interpretation that are available by OSHA, which are specific cases where people have written in asking how certain language in the regulation should be interpreted. And so OSHA has responded to some of these with specific examples of of how it should be interpreted in those cases. So that is another reference if you don't have some of the resources that we mentioned here where you can look at examples or you're just kind of confused about the broad nature of some of these requirements. So step number one, understand the requirements, read them, bookmark them on your computer. They're worth the read. They're not that long. So don't be intimidated. All right, we're going to move on to another step in just basic levels of compliance, and so I'm going to turn it over to you, Molly, to talk about some documentation.
3: Thank you. So, as we talked about, the actual regulation is pretty sparse, but the amount of documentation that's required to comply is very extensive. It includes both your own policies and procedures, along with process safety information that you have to gather, including piping and instrument diagrams, process descriptions, inventory levels, things like that. Also operating procedures, training procedures, training documents. There's a huge number of pieces of information, documentation that you have to manage. And we definitely recommend grouping all of that into a central repository so that when someone's looking for process safety information or anything for your process safety management program there's one place to go think about how you want to organize that information and set up a logical framework of folders Uh, most people manage all that electronically there may be some documentation design books and things like that for reference that may be paper copies so make sure that those are in a uh, readily accessible library and then also set up some sort of document control system you're going to go through many revisions on a lot of these documents, whether it's policies, procedures, operating procedures, things of that sort. And you're going to want to manage those revisions so that they don't get lost.
2: I think that's a great point about having one centralized location and some structure to it and procedures for how you're going to maintain it. I will say from experience, it's really important in this step to not forget to communicate to everybody who will be using this information, where you've stored it, how they can locate it and access it. I've seen cases where they've done a lot of work to set something like this up and anyone involved in the PSM implementation or engineering who's helped compile these documents is very aware of the structure, but it hasn't been as well communicated to people in operations who actually will be using these day-to-day. So I would just say everything you said is is a great way to set it up. And then just don't forget about the piece where you communicate it to all the affected parties since you've put in the work at this point.
3: Exactly, if uh, people don't know where the information is, it doesn't do anybody any good. Right. Um, yeah, so let me turn it over to John to talk about some very specific uh, documentation needs uh, for compliance with PSM.
4: Yeah, for sure, going along with that document structure, an important part to the document structure you know, of course, it's being centralized, but it's the content. And one of the important things of your contents is going to be your P&IDs and your operating instructions, manuals and maintenance instructions and procedures. Because you are you got documents out there to help, you know, manage people or tell people this is how you do X, Y, and Z. But now you need a good document to kind of tell you what you have out in the facility or out in the plant. And that comes from your piping and instrument diagrams. And like it says, it has your piping. It's like a roadmap of This is where the pipes are going. This is what it's connected. It'll tell you what's in the process. It's going to tell you the piping spec, the pipe rating, and the type of instrumentation you have on that system. And it's pretty universal when you're going from one facility to another facility to kind of go, oh, this is what you're working with. If you kind of look at it, you're like, oh, this is very large piping and it's rated this. I could expect X, Y, and Z. But it's important to have these good P&IDs and operating manuals and procedures because it tells your operators or maintenance, an engineer, or maybe an outside person, what you're dealing with when you're looking at this facility. And it's important to know what you have so that you could evaluate other things such as changes or potential hazards. I was
1: just going to focus on, on P&IDs for a second. And, you know, if if you're just starting your journey, you know, there's a, a a number of different ways that that can happen number 1 you can be a new facility or a new company uh, if that's the case then you know nowadays if you built your facility you probably have P&IDs they're probably good unfortunately there are a lot of facilities out there that are older And they may or may not have good PNIDs. And it's really hard to to move forward. And and I'm gonna talk about PHAs in a minute. It's really hard to move forward, you know, in your PSM journey if you don't have good piping and instrumentation diagrams. That's really that's really one of the the basic you know aspects of your process safety information. So if you have if you're in in an older facility and your PNIDs are 20, 30, 40 years old in some cases, then you know it it's really you really need to invest the time and the and the effort. Um, and that might include bringing in an outside firm to develop your p and IDs, get them on CAD, uh, get them in your electronic system uh, because you know that's going to be as you said, John, that's gonna be the base of your hazard analysis and your MOC system going forward, et cetera, et cetera. So,
3: yeah, for the uh, p and IDs, not only check to make sure you've got them with good information and everything labeled appropriately, but also field check. You might've had these uh, developed when the facility was built, or as you say, they may be quite a bit older. It's really hard to keep those matched with what's in the field, but that's essential. And so have somebody take what you've got and field walk all of it and make sure it is accurate. When you have somebody field checking, Make sure that they actually understand what they're looking at and don't overlook something or mark it out or make a change incorrectly uh, because they don't know what they're looking at in the field. So it's essential to have those correct because those feed into so many of the other elements, whether it be operating procedures or training or MOCs or process hazard analyses. The p ids are the um, real basis of the information that you're gonna need for the rest of your compliance. So spend the time to make sure that those are correct.
4: And kind of going along with that, it's a big part of the process safety information element. And that ties into a lot of other elements to help kind of help be the glue. So when you're looking at it, you have an idea of what's out there. So Like Rob was saying, newer ones probably have it. The trickier ones, is going to be your older facilities that might have not had a PNID or like Molly was saying, like you're going through a change and you just have missed it on the PNID. It's important to kind of get that updated. You know, even though you might not be in PSM right now, it's still good to have it updated so that your guys or your operators or your other personnel have an updated Map of what's out in the field, uh, and it's important to kind of like what Rob is saying for your evaluations or your hazard review. So you want to talk about that, Rob?
1: Yeah, I do. That uh, I think the next thing, you know, as we're down in the foothills, right? We're a new we're a new facility, new PSM facility. Uh, we we've got to comply. So uh, one of the things that should be done, you've got to get your PSI in place first you got to understand what your hazards are you've got to have your pnids in place but once that's done you really need to do your process hazards analysis or your pha it's one of uh, the first things each epa or osha show up at your site one of the first things they're going to do do is say show me your pha so they want that pha to be done and so, you know, the first thing that you should be doing once you've got your information together is get that PHA because that PHA is going to, number one, identify any, sa- any places where you have potential risks that you don't have adequate safeguards for. But then that also is going to play forward into your operating procedures, into your training program, into your MOC program. So there's all, you know, in order to really run those, have those systems work the way they're supposed to, you need to understand what. Your process um, hazards are, and the way that you do that is with your PHA.
3: Yeah, if you're new on uh, PSM compliance, and as Rob said, you're not entirely sure what constitutes um, an appropriate pha definitely reach out to a uh, experienced consultant of some sort that has training in the pha methodologies that is one of the requirements of the psm standard is it's whoever is involved in your pha has training and experience in that methodology chosen so get somebody experienced to lead you through it And then secondarily, make sure that your operators are involved. Sometimes uh, management thinks that the operators, you know, they just run the plant, but they're not going to be that interested or involved in these long sit-down meetings for process hazard analysis. That's incorrect. The operators uh, really understand how the equipment works What could go wrong? Sometimes they've seen things go wrong. And their experience is a valuable um, addition to that uh, team and essential for really understanding um, your hazards and your safeguards and how robust those safeguards are and what uh, needs to be done to enhance your uh, risk profile.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I agree agree with all that. Um, anybody else have anything to add about PHAs and the importance of doing that initially?
4: Okay. Yeah, I was gonna talk about uh one important part about the PHA that brings into that most people come into, especially a new uh a new PSM facility, is understanding your risk. Uh, PHAs help kind of identify potential risk, but kind of the basis of what you can can and shouldn't do or what your priorities are is your risk assessment, your risk matrix. And that's a whole nother conversation, but just making sure your company agrees with the risk and has the line of, this is a line we don't cross, or this line is close to what we're uncomfortable with. And you have to have certain safeguards or practices in place. Um, It's important because that line of where you don't want to cross or you do want to cross has a lot of other implications to it. But the risk matrix is important because it's what the company perceives as risk is acceptable, and it's also what the community around the company or maybe that facility perceives as acceptable as as well. Because you might think, the company might think this is acceptable, but maybe the neighbor down the street might not find it acceptable.
3: I'm glad you brought up the risk matrix. I've seen sometimes uh, companies may utilize the same risk matrix uh, that they've used for Personnel safety, slips, trips, falls, that sort of thing. And their frequency ranges are very short because for that type of incident, uh, you know, you may be looking at multiple times a year down to maybe once every 20, 30 years or something like that. When you're talking catastrophic potential consequences for a uh, PHA, just because it doesn't happen every 50 years isn't nearly good enough. Um, you're going to have to extend that time frame out quite a bit. And so you may need a different risk matrix than what the company has utilized previously on um, personnel safety issues.
1: All right. Well, that's all good. Let's move on to how do we track our various action items? What are we going to do for that, Joe?
2: Yeah. Okay. So you're going to have action items coming from a variety of different areas. So one area that you're going to have action items from is a PHA, just like we discussed. So any sort of recommendations that come out of that PHA in order to you know, add additional safeguards, anything along, uh, along those lines. Um, so you're going to have some recommendations or action items that will need to be tracked um, coming from PHAs. You'll also have action items that are a result of any sort of findings from a compliance audit. So you'll want to keep track of those as well. You could also have action items that are the result of an incident investigation, which is great. That means you're learning something from it or, you know, even action items from a near miss or something like that. And then the fourth possible place that you could potentially have um, some action item tracking depending on how you are taking care of it is going to be from your MOCs because um, any sort of change that is going to affect your process safety information um, so including any like drawings that you have or any operating procedures or practices that will need to be updated so we can consider those action items as well so action items can come from those kind of four different avenues what's most important when it comes to tracking them is Not necessarily some fancy system, although there are a lot of really great electronic systems out there for managing that. Um, And that's something that our team is happy to talk with anybody about because we've got experience over multiple platforms, which is really nice. But really, the most important thing is that you keep track of them um, so you're aware of what they are. Um, Second, that you assign responsibility because how Easy is it to lose track of something if no one is working towards resolving it, and and to keep people accountable. And then third is is really to have a due date or deadline in mind when it comes to these, because again, if it's not a priority, it's very easy to push it off. Um, and the standard does require that you get to these action items in in a reasonable amount of time. So again, not prescriptive, very general, but a reasonable amount of time is not you know never ending. So really good to have a deadline in mind to keep you on track and to keep you compliant with the part that says, you know, you need to address these within a reasonable amount of time.
3: Yeah, this um, piece sounds really simple, but I can't tell you how many times I've seen companies lose track of this. And from a compliance standpoint, lack of follow-up on these action items is really glaring if you had uh, OSHA or EPA inspector out and, you know, they ask you for these action items and where's your um, documentation on what you did about these. And if you can't lay your hands on it readily, then that's an easy finding. So it sounds simple, but it goes a long way towards compliance if you can manage these.
2: That's a good point. Documenting the resolution of them, what steps you took, what you implemented, that's a huge piece too. So I appreciate you bringing that up. All right, so we'll move back on to Molly in regard to kind of the resources that you're going to to want to think about when you are in the very beginning of your
3: process safety journey. Yeah, thank you. As you've probably uh, gathered already, there's a lot of work to comply with PSM or RMP, and you're going to need to dedicate some resources. If you're new in this journey, you may not really understand the extent of the resources that are going to be needed. I would suggest that you have a point person assigned to lead up this effort, but they're not going to be able to do it all themselves they're going to need to lean on a lot of other people to help gather the right process safety information they're going to need uh, support from operations and maintenance for operating procedures and training and uh, maintenance policies and activities and that sort of stuff so you definitely need to put some focused resources on this Um, have at least one dedicated person Following up, making sure that they understand who's responsible for each of the different elements. If you can, assign a point person for each element, but still go back to a single person to make sure that all of it is being covered and that you haven't overlooked something.
1: So are you telling me that if if I'm if I'm the plant manager at a site and and I've got a you know I've got a new PSM process or I'm told I've got to comply with PSM I can't just give this to the safety guy and let him go in a, let him go in a room and put together the program and just move on? I mean it, that's that's what I want to do, right? I just want it to I want right. the problem to go away. I want to give it to my safety guy and have him deal with it.
3: That, that's a very good notion. Um, in most cases, your safety guy probably already has his plate full and this is a lot of additional information above and beyond what may be expected or maybe they're used to with personnel safety and things of that sort. So, they're going to need some additional resources.
4: Yeah, for me, it seems like my analogy I think of when I see that happening where they just push it on the safety guy's plate. It's kind of like asking a long distance runner to go do a hundred meter dash as a, a sporting event. Uh, even though it's like the same realm of like, we wanna protect our employees and do the best for them. You're asking someone who has a long distance muscles could do a sprinter's muscle. And it's in the same criteria as in you're asking an occupational person to do a process safety evaluation. Like you're still protecting, you know, your goal is still to protect your employees or the people, but you're evaluating two different systems that might not really use the same thought process.
3: Exactly. Yep. Rob, what would you add?
1: No, I was going to say that same exact thing that John said, although I think he said it more eloquently. I've run into this a bunch of times where, you know, it's not the same. It's not process safety is not safety. And I've also run into it similarly in a similar vein with um, with RMP, where because RMP comes from EPA, uh, they think that that the environmental folks should be dealing with it and and, and or, you know, and we talked a little bit about understanding the requirements earlier and getting the right people involved, the, the right knowledge, people believing that they're that the same folks that do their, that help them with their, you know, with their annual TRI reporting or their air emission reporting or their spill control plan are they they're the same ones that can help them with their process safety because um, because it's RMP and it's EPA. So you know, it, it is it's different muscles. Like John like John says, it's different knowledge, it's different muscles. Um, and so not only do you have to have at least one person dedicated, but that person you can't just take Joe off the street and say, here you go, run my PSM program. You got to have someone dedicated, but they also have, have to have the right knowledge.
2: I agree with that completely, Rob. I think having the word safety in process safety really makes people want to group it in with their EHS group. Um, and it's it's not unrelated, but sometimes the people um, in those groups are just not equipped to take on. Um, all of the responsibilities and requirements. And I think that sometimes is a shortcoming of how short the standard is, is if you don't read it thoroughly, you can think, oh, it's not that much. This person can definitely handle it. When, as you said, Molly, these people are (laughs) already have their plates full um, with all sorts of other OSHA requirements, et cetera. I would say actually that I've seen pretty successful allocations of resources when PSM is actually Less an EHS function and more a part of the engineering group because they're integral to a lot of the elements. So, I think just the big takeaway from this point um, when you're thinking about resources is just it's not as easy as just handing these responsibilities to someone who already has a full time role in your organization that will not make it successful. So, you just really need to think about who is best equipped to handle these requirements and and who you can involve as part of the team in order to be most successful.
3: Right, exactly. Leverage the resources that you do have available, whether that be in operations or if you already have a training group, utilize them, uh, the engineering resources, uh, if you've got any assistance that you can pull from corporate, use whatever resources you have because it is going to be a concerted effort. All right, so let's move on to the next piece about uh, your policies and procedures. You want to take that off, John?
4: Yeah, definitely will. Like we've talked about all all on this podcast, you know, OSHA, PSM is a performance standard. So there's not much to it, but requires a lot. So this isn't going to be able to write, you know, your policy here in like one month and just crush it. It's going to be kind of a growing pain situation where you kind of review what you have, put it on paper and kind of iterative process of just review, correct, and actually implement. So here you're going to want to actually have a good management document system structure because the people running the program are all human and you need this on paper so that you kind of tell them, this is how we do X, Y, and Z, and you kind of keep them to that policy and standards. So first you want to get that policy standards going, the why you're doing what you're doing. Uh, You want to get that on paper. So you kind of go, this is what the regulation says, and this is how we abide to it. So you kind of get the why to it, right? And it's more for sustainability. So if you get someone new, they look at the policy, and they understand why we do what we're doing, then you have that procedure or practice with it. So it could tell you who does it, when you do it, or where you do it, or even how you do that that process, right? Or that policy, or how you follow that policy or standard. So it's a nice structure there of like, why you're doing it, and then how you do it. And then lastly, to kind of prove it, like that goes with you, if an auditor goes, oh, can you show me how you're doing X, Y, and Z, or following the standard, you got to get some records to prove it, right? So it's kind of like, oh yeah, we do inspect this vessel, can you show me the inspections? Or, all right, let's go find out if your p are up to date, let's go do a field walk down and check out your p and if there's like riddled with errors, it kind of shows you you're not really following your MLC process. So it's important to do that, and like I said, it's not going to be a one-month process. It's going to be an annual process where you look at your policies and procedures, you know, look at what you're doing, update it to what you're doing. It, It shouldn't be, this is what the regulation says, and this is how we do it, and you just say that in your policy. You got to conform it to how your company follows the standards.
2: Yeah, I think what you mentioned about having policies and procedures in place as a framework is definitely true. I think this is the time at which you would start developing a manual as a collection of all of these policies. I think that it's great to have all of them combined into a manual um, just under the umbrella of PSM because, of course, not every element um, under PSM actually requires a written plan. Certain parts absolutely do. But that being said, when it's in writing, you know, it's very clear to your organization um, how you're planning on complying. And it also makes it easier to recognize what your procedures are internally to maintain that. Also, part of this, I think that's important to note, is that part of, well, a type of finding that can be a result of a compliance audit uh, can deal with things that you have actually said that you'll do As part of of what you've put in a procedure or manual, you've said our facility will do X, Y, Z. Um, And even if it's more stringent than what is actually required by PSM, the standard actually says if you've already laid it out as something you're going to require that you do and you're not doing it, well, that's actually a finding. So I think something that's important to note while you're coming up with these procedures and policies is absolutely the goal is compliance and you know you may be uh, striving for excellence which is great but don't handcuff yourself to something that you're not going to actually in practice be able to realistically achieve because in the end that's actually you being non-compliant so just be careful I would say with those is is again everyone wants to strive for excellence but uh, keep it realistic that way you're not unintentionally creating additional findings based on you just not following your own policies that you said you would. So,
3: did you want to add on to that, Molly? Yeah, you made some great points, Joe. One other thing I wanted to say is that a lot of the PSM elements are interrelated, and so keep in mind that as you update one policy or procedure for an element, you may have just cause problems with another policy or procedure that's related, and now they don't jive together and you've caused yourself some compliance problems. So, keep in mind whenever you update one of the policies or procedures, look to see if there's other ones that are related that also need updating to match along with those uh, changes.
4: I would agree. Very good. Very good additions to that. Thanks, Joe and Molly. But yeah, very important, having a good document hierarchy and structure and just kind of walking the walk and talking the talk or talking the talk and walking the walk. I don't think I had it backwards, but, you know, you're saying what you're doing, just do what you're saying you're doing and don't add to it because you're adding more so to more exposures if you're not walking the talk.
1: Yeah, I think we've. Talked about a lot of things. This is a bit of a long podcast for us, but I think it's all good information. And you know, the the most difficult thing is is getting started in the foothills. But you know, as the saying says, you know, the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. And we've talked about some of the first steps that you should be taking as part of your process safety journey. I think I just want to close with, you know, before we before we sat down here we we kind of brainstormed uh, some of the unique challenges in this part of the journey. So I just want to kind of go through those and then we'll wrap up. So the first is that buy-in may be difficult, especially buy-in from management as well as buy-in from the folks on the floor, right? If you've got an existing process, maybe it's been around for 100 years and we've never had a problem yet, well, that doesn't mean that you're not going to have a problem in the future or you know this is too expensive or you know I don't care I don't want to comply I don't there's you know many different reasons but that that buy-in may be may be difficult to get so expect that resources may be difficult we talked about resources a little bit but you want to make sure that you don't focus on just a single element remember there's I mean PSM has 14 elements More than likely, you're not dealing with too many trade secrets related to process safety management. So, you know, really, you've got you've got 13 elements to deal with. Don't pour all of your time and money into just one of them, such as doing your PHA. You've really got to be kind of hitting all of the elements at the same time um, as you're starting. And I think the last thing is and I've come across this in my own experience with clients is be careful not to get trapped by not knowing what you don't know. And you know this is I, I've I've, uh, I've got one particular client who has as has lamented to me after or, or in the middle of proceedings with the EPA enforcement action is you know Rob, we just didn't know what we didn't know so bring in the people who who do know what the sorts of things that you're supposed to know because I tell you if if you do have an incident you're not going to be able to use that as, as an excuse If OSHO or EPA show up, and you say, well, I didn't, I didn't know that we were supposed to do that. That is not going to be an acceptable reason for not having an appropriate moc program or not having your mi program correct. So just be careful. Don't allow yourself uh, to be even be able to say that. Understand what the requirements are. Understand what good looks like. And that can be getting some of the resources that we talked about earlier. That can be pulling in consultants or even reaching out to e- even reaching out to the regulators for for help so just just um you know understand what you're what you need to do it goes back to the first one that Joe that Joe talked about understand the psm requirements or the rmp requirements and what you need to know to to comply as a reminder this episode today is the first of a three part series that we're doing for companies that are making their process safety journey the next episode we will be talking about climbing the process safety mountain before the third episode which will be nearing the summit. So we hope you got a lot out of this episode and we hope that you will look forward to the next two episodes. So with that, as always, we appreciate you listening to our podcast. Uh, If you're listening on our website and you want to take us on the go, you can find us on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast platform out there. If you do have a comment about this week's episode, an idea for future episodes, or a question about anything process safety related, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a voice message using the link in our episode description on the website or on your mobile device, uh, or shoot us an email at podcast at AmplifyConsultants.com. And with that, for the team here at Amplify, look forward to talking to you next time, and thanks for joining us. Be safe out there.